welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, really excited to have this session, specifically looking at flexible working and how it can support uh, people at different life stages. I think we all know that COVID-19 has raised new complexities for employers and employees, and it's fundamentally changing the way we work. Across the globe, we're also dealing with the effects of unprecedented population aging, and that's affecting organizations in quite dramatic ways. One thing we're also seeing is that as companies are seeking to reinvent, they're simultaneously looking at three things. They're reinventing for value, as what people value from the employer has shifted during this period. They're reinventing for flexibility, it's greater acknowledge that we just need more flexibility in our work models and our work systems. And of course, they're also reinventing sustainably. What might work in the short term is not necessarily the right solution to take us forward. I'm really excited today to be joined by Avon Sancino, who's a partner here at Mercer and the global co-leader of Mercer's Next Stage platform. Welcome, Avon. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Great. Well, I've been listening to uh, a lot of the things you do on the platform, which I know is all about work-related implications of longevity. And I think uh, over the last few months, it's absolutely been thrust in the spotlight. And I know you kicked off the year with um, some great work at, at, at da uh, with the World Economic Forum and with Davos. And uh, I think it was very timely because we certainly have seen that older workers have been disproportionately impacted by COVID-19. What I'd, what I'd like to kick off with today is uh, hearing about your views on how it has impacted older workers and maybe specifically how it's impacted some of their retirement plans. Okay, well, let's, let's start with that. I think there's a, a lot of things going on. Some people have had to dip into their retirement savings and start drawing on them. Some countries have even enacted new legislation to allow people to access their funds and draw them early. Um, it, it's like robbing Peter to pay Paul because the, the pots are already small enough yeah. and dipping into them early and making them last longer are clearly exacerbating the problem and they're, they're deepening the inequalities. And we're also seeing a lot of older workers losing their jobs. Sadly, it seems to be a generation that will fall out of the workplace in disproportionate amounts um, compared to other generations. Some of that is job related. Mm -hmm. So many, if you think of many um, older women, particularly those close to retirement, they're often in in what we call bridging jobs. So jobs that sort of take them through from um, full-time work into full-time retirement. So they're in retail, they're in healthcare, they're in hospitality. And all of those, as we know, have been really, really badly hit. So I think it's the double impact of um, job losses and retirement related issues, you know, drawing money early, the stock markets have been hit etc living longer money needing to last longer um, this is having a big financial impact on on older people particularly thank you for sharing that gosh there's a cacophony of things happening at once you know I, on the one hand i understand that the people have needed that financial flexibility as they've dealt with the crisis um, but it's interesting hearing you talk about what are some of those implications longer term of them and as you were chatting there, it was reminding me of some of the findings from our 2020 Global Talent Trends study. I think if I'm right, it, it, there was a figure in there that said the number of employees who's working past retirement age 
increased, I think, from one in five in the 2019 report to one in three in 2020. And I think many of them were saying it was out of necessity why they were going to be working. Uh, and the second uh, reason, I think, was just to, to stay mentally kind of agile and engage. But, you know, that social need, as well as the financial need, I think is absolutely going to be really critical as we start to recover from this period. Um, I'd be interested in a, a concept that you mentioned there, which was flexible retirement. You know, what actually is that? And how does that address some of these workforce trends we're beginning to see? The work we were doing with the World Economic Forum um, for Davos and during the rest of this year is, is looking at exactly this issue. So it's looking at how can we extend people's working lives so that they can work if they have to out of financial need or can work if they want to because they want to keep motivated, engaged, stimulated, learning. And so what we're looking to design is a framework by which we can develop um, using tried and tested design thinking methodology, which revolves around designing for the person. We're using that methodology then to look much more deeply at retirement and working scenarios to understand exactly what's possible. So, for example, we've developed what we call a 10 factor framework. And that looks at things like, is the program going to be informal or formal? So mm -hmm. as a company, will you um, have very formal procedures in place for this that apply for everyone? Or will you just do this on an ad hoc basis? It looks also at things like rewards and benefits. And actually, this is where a lot of good strategy level decision making can fall down because when you get into the detail of um, a flexible retirement so in its broadest terms moving from full-time work to full-time retirement over a period of years there are things in the reward and benefits programs that don't allow that so in some countries for example you can't draw your pension and carry on working it's illegal it's not supported by governments or employers mm. um, and so we're, we're really having to dig into some of that detail and unpack what's possible and then carry on to lobby governments and employers to do the right thing mm. and has that has that driven a change with organizations and i tell you where this question is coming from you know i think during this period employees have been looking to their employers as sort of the beacon of truth and they've actually been demonstrating their values through their benefit program so we've seen in many areas that organizations have kind of stepped above what's happening in a local country and said this is something that we're going to be doing have you seen that that trend in this area as well yeah i think i think that's that's right companies are looking to um they're looking at this in a number of ways. So they're, they're wanting to, in many cases, keep experience and skills in the workforce for longer. And we're doing a couple of pilot studies at the moment, really, really interesting pilot studies, where we've, we're testing a series of hypotheses to understand exactly what will keep people in the workforce for longer. What is it the employer needs to do? Is it freeing up and giving more flexibility around the employment contract itself so will the work become part-time or periodic or project-based 
what is it they need to do around the actual rewards and benefit programs themselves to make it attractive for people to stay. So one interview I did recently on one of those pilots, um, the, the gentleman concerned had worked until 58. He felt he'd got a really good, strong retirement pot. He was ready to go. He'd got loads of other things he wanted to do in his life. But he said, as he got closer to his, he, he decided to early retire at 58. And as he got closer and closer to that, he started to have a real panic that, is this the end of me? Is this the end of my career? Is this my entire retirement pot? It, I, I'm, he was really emotionally um, wrapped up in that decision to retire. And he decided in the end, with two weeks to go, I can't do this. I don't want to go. So the company were really, really accommodating. It's a great case study, actually, because they said, well, we really need you. We really need your skills. What do we need to do? What do we need to do to keep you? So they, they gave him a couple of really interesting new projects that he could work on in his own terms, as he describes it, in, in my terms. So he wanted, he wanted some extra time off each week. Um, there were other things he wanted to do. He, he was also interesting because he said, I find it much easier to work in the winter, but the summer, I'm quite, quite happy trying to do some of these other things yeah, cool. that my life needs right now, get a bit of work-life balancing. So they were really accommodating in terms of the work structure. And they were also really accommodating in the way they performance managed him. So instead of using their very strict monthly targets driven performance system they had a much much more flexible and trusting relationship between him and his line manager so here's my project here's my deliverables i'm going to do them let me get on with it and so there's real real innovation there in the way they're managing him real innovation in the way they've structured his workload and real innovation coming from him because he's super motivated now and giving it all he's got I imagine he would be i mean it's a that's a great story and it really humanizes i think some of the things the messages you're trying to get out there what fascinates me is why don't we have more of these case studies i mean to me having a an honest conversation about what will work based on his priorities and how he wants to work seems a really smart way to go. Well, why don't we see more of that out in the marketplace? We're seeing a lot more interest in it now. We, I'm probably getting one new case each week come to me and say, right, we need to rethink retirement. It's time for us to redesign that later stage of life. It's, and it's either skills driven. In some cases, I'll be honest, it's, it's more around, um, thinking through succession planning and how to manage that well. We, we know in, in the Global Talent Trends study that executives are concerned about that um, potential blockage. I hate that word, but that potential career blockers at senior levels and how can they create more um, opportunities for succession planning. So I think um, whatever the reason, companies are now looking to flexible retirement as an extension to flexible working. We mm -hmm. know how much interest there is in that. They're looking at it now in a much more um, strategic way. So I'm currently pretty busy on this topic and I expect we'll be even busier. And the work with the World Economic Forum is going from strength to strength because they, they have now set up a series of subgroups one of them is specifically looking at flexible retirement. So there's a group of us 
um, employers, uh, think tanks, providers of financial services, all working together to design and test the, the right framework and test that at a specific geography level as well to understand what the potential challenges are with it and work and um, then we will de develop work around so i think there'll be much much more of it kate that's great to hear it's interesting your point there about you know sometimes it's about skills and succession you know there's a there was actually and i know we keep mentioning the global talent trends, but there was a it was a, a case study in there this year from i think the european space agency and that was fascinating because they were really worried about losing skills and i was sort of like how hard is it to get these skills and they're like yeah, these people were on the Apollo missions. So they're already um, doing, you know, the ramp up and ramp down. They're already past retirement. And, um, you know, a lot of the conversation was, you know, how can we keep at least some of the expertise in the business and make it work for them? Um, so it's great to hear that there's so much activity. Um, you mentioned your work um, with the World Economic Forum, and these, these new communities that have been set up to explore this topic. Um, any insights that you can share from them? You know, there was there any gems that came out of that redesigning later life session you ran at Davos or any surprises from this discussion that uh, maybe puts a fresh angle on it? There, there's some real gems, <clears throat> excuse me. And the, the report's freely available as well. So please do um, go to the resources uh, that we share after this podcast and download the resource, uh, the the report and read for yourself. But I think one thing everybody was really interested in was, was looking at the design thinking methodology that we used in that. And the way we approached it was to, we, we put together a series of real case studies, real people, not invented personas, but real people. Um, people that we interviewed, people that we knew, family members, colleagues. And we got the groups of experts to to, to look at their life situation and recommend a fix for them around this whole area about redesigning later life. So we had doctors, actuaries, entrepreneurs, investors, financial service providers, insurers, retired people, HR professionals, and, and some of the things that they, they absolutely loved about that exercise and we're, we're taking forward as another group is this whole concept of personalized life planning. So how amazing it would be to have a panel of experts like that to look at your life and situation on a piece of paper and say, well, I think you need to do this. And if I were you, I'd do that and I'd do the other. And, and the, the work we came up with was great. So it was recommending anything from preventative health interventions to just more savviness about money, not necessarily in-depth understanding of your pensions, but savviness about your assets and how a combination of the right assets, property, pensions, savings, rainy day funds could help. And also lots of good uh, advice about career and how to make money. So incremental reskilling, just constantly being at the top of your game, looking at what jobs are out there and pushing yourself a bit. Um, so there was, a, there was a whole pile of good stuff, but that personalized life planning, I think was a real gem. So we're developing uh, a model for that, you know, like the perfect personalized life planning program. And um, I'm sure everybody would benefit from that. Yeah, absolutely. I like that. Sounds a lot like that midlife uh, uh, check that, that we had a few years back as well. Yes. But uh, uh, wonderful. And, I, I, and it, it's in, 
Yeah, there's a, a word that we've heard so much more about during this period, the word intersectionality. <laughs> and, you know, I think, you, you know, we've spoken to you before about, you know, how women aren't saving and aren't as savvy as men on some of their savings and investments. You know, we've heard how older people are being disproportionately impacted because of COVID. And um, so it's not surprising that it, it, it takes that sort of family to do that personalized life planning because different people are impacted in different ways. And, you know, and, it, and the solutions are as, inconnect, as interconnected as the issues that is driving them. So um, thank you for sharing those insights. Really, really interesting. You know, one of the things that we've seen during this last six months is employees really beginning to think about their employer, how they behave during this period, and in turn, what's the value proposition they're getting out of lending their time to a particular company. And, you know, retirement historically hasn't always been front of mind, but I think from everything you're saying, it's beginning to change. Where does that sit in the employee value proposition sort of equation? And what are progressive companies doing to bring that to the fore? Mm, it's, a, it's a very good question. And we talked about this yesterday, actually, in, in a group I was working on uh, with, with the World Economic Forum. And we're looking at all the generations and their attitudes to work. And um, um, one of the participants yesterday said, do you know what? He said, I talked to my 22-year-old daughter the other day about ethical investment mm -hmm. and she didn't realize she had money invested in a super a super trust and an australian pension fund and so she asked me so is my money invested ethically then and he said well check it out and she she actually didn't even know how to log into her super trust but when she realized that she could have a voice in how that money was invested and that it could do good she suddenly became interested in her super fund. So I think this is a great way of engaging generations at an intersectional perspective and really switching people on to the, to, to the small changes they can make, the small things they can do to make a difference. Now, if we've managed to engage a 22-year-old young woman in her investments, um, that's going to have massive repercussions for her in later life. I certainly know of many women now, and women, um, just to get this into perspective, on average, our pensions are 40% lower than men's, <clears throat> on average. Oh. So some, some are pretty, pretty much worse than that. But if all of us could have started taking such an active interest in our investments at age 22, we wouldn't be having this problem. You know, in, most, in, in eight of the top developed geographies, we run out of money eight to 20 years before we die at the moment. So that is the culmination of decades of maturing financial systems, good, strong state pension systems, sophisticated financial products, but we're still running out of money eight to 20 years before we die. Now, getting and building that type of um, attitude in younger generations I think is really important and the types of generations and and groups of people that are adversely affected by some of this so women black Asian minority and ethnic um, groups 
all of those really need to think about um, some of these very small changes that can make a huge difference. Well, there's momentum now. I do think, you know, all those topics you brought up, whether it's topics relating to diversity, equity, inclusion, whether it's topics relating to, you know, investments and retirements, and just being more savvy is going to be put into sharp focus. Um, yeah. The impact of this on, you know, family members and people around us. Um, so I love that practical question you gave there. Um, I, I certainly know people I can ask that question of, and hopefully it will, will prompt their response uh, around sustainable investment. Um, if there's other listeners on the call who's really interested in this topic of life stage flexibility and how they can be having a positive impact on people's future lives by the decisions they make today, how can they learn more? How can they get started? Well, come and talk to us. I think that's the answer. There's a small group of us in, in Mercer that are very active on this. So I'm one of those. We've got other people across the US and in, in Europe that are very happy to have the conversation. If I could direct you as well to Mercer's Our Thinking Redesigning Retirement, um, you can access the report there and lots of the other resources we've got available on, on the website as well. Now you said you're very busy, Yvonne, and so I'm so glad we managed to get you on the call today. And I think it's because you're always so open to sharing your thoughts, wisdoms, and ideas with everyone. So thank you so much for that kind offer. I also know there's a, there's a good free sort of online self-assessment on there that's a, a great way to get people engaging on this topic. Yes, that's just about ready to go live. And I'm delighted about that because we've been using that type of diagnostic for a few years now, actually, looking at age readiness and demographic profile files and really challenging employers to answer some soul-searching questions about what they do. So that should be live very, very soon. Again, thank you so much for taking some time out of your day to join us here today. Vaughn, thank you also for your sharing your ideas and wisdom. Um, please don't forget to join us for the next conversation in our New Shape of Work podcast series. We'll be continuing to talk to some of our Mercer experts, but also some companies about how they're thinking about the new shape of work uh, and how they are reinventing themselves for a new uh, work and social order. Till next time, do stay safe and stay connected. Thank you, everyone. Bye-bye.